It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, October 30th. I'm Kelly Reese and I still don't have a Halloween costume. This is your KVMR Evening News. First up tonight, the California Report looks at responses to Israel's bombardment of Gaza through the perspective of Californians. And National Native News follows a viral sensation in a tiny native village off the coast of Alaska. The countdown to Halloween is on, and we have intel from Nevada County's Public Information Officer on what trick-or-treaters should be sure not to miss. The KVMR News Desk has some big changes on the horizon. Stick around to hear from News Director Claudio Mendoza on the future of your local newsroom. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Here are some California headlines we're following. Over the weekend, thousands of people took to the streets across the state to protest Israel's sustained bombardment of the Gaza Strip in the wake of Hamas's attack on Israel. Israel's air attacks have killed thousands of people in Gaza. The largest rallies were in Los Angeles and San Francisco, where thousands of people marched through downtown and blocked the 101 freeway. Wael Buhesi is a community organizer in the Bay Area and has family in Gaza. This is not the time for us to stay home. This is not the time for us to relent. Uh, as the massacres go on, as the displacement and the horrors of this war are happening and inflicted on the Palestinian people. Along with demanding an immediate ceasefire, the protesters called for an increase in humanitarian assistance to Gaza residents. And senior officers of the Greater Sacramento chapter of the NAACP, including its president, Betty Williams, have been suspended by the national NAACP because of allegations of financial impropriety. In a letter to the Sacramento chapter from NAACP President Derek Johnson, suspended members are told to cease and desist from holding themselves out as members of the organization. Williams says the allegations against her are false and politically motivated. The news came as NAACP members gathered over the the weekend for the Civil Rights Organization State Convention in Burlingame. In Southern California, authorities are warning residents about possible wildfire danger as strong Santa Ana winds continue in some areas. Red flag warnings for Los Angeles and Ventura counties are expected to last at least through today with gusts of 35 to 65 miles per hour. Street parking restrictions are in place in some areas to keep roads clear in the event of possible evacuations. SoCal Edison has also warned some 150,000 of its customers about the need for possible preventive power shutoffs. The aftermath of the October 7th Hamas attack on Israel is proving an especially tough time for Jewish progressives in California. From Los Angeles, LAist correspondent Leslie Berenstein Rojas has more. In the days after the attack, a group of young Jewish progressives began holding vigils around L.A. for the Israelis who died and for Palestinians killed in the airstrikes that followed. Asher Kaplan was at a vigil in Sherman Oaks when some cars pulled up alongside. Blasting music, yelling at us, telling us that we were Nazis, you know, all this stuff. Kaplan says these critics, like him, are also members of the local Jewish community. 
as American Jews have come together to mourn, long-standing divisions over Israel have, at the same time, been deepening. It's felt here in L.A., where the Jewish community leans liberal, and criticism, at least pre-war, of the hardline Israeli government was not uncommon. But even among Jewish progressives, feelings about how Israel should respond are complex. Some are calling for a ceasefire. Others are trying to reconcile their progressive values with outrage, grief, and a sense of feeling abandoned by the larger left. On one end of the spectrum are groups like If Not Now, which Asher Kaplan volunteers for. Last week, he joined their protest in front of Vice President Kamala Harris's house in Brentwood, calling for an end to the airstrikes. I don't think that dropping 6,000 bombs on Gaza in the span of a week is an effective strategy for returning the hostages safely. It's a stance he's found himself defending a lot lately, against bystanders, friends, even relatives as conversations turn angry. There have always been a diversity of, of opinions within the Jewish community about the state of Israel. And criticism of the way that the country conducts itself is not criticism of Jewish people or Judaism. But emotions over the conflict are extremely raw, informed by the ever-present trauma of the Holocaust and fears of anti-Semitism. As many Americans on the left have taken to the streets in support of Palestine, even some of LA's most progressive Jewish leaders say they feel alone, disconnected from other Americans who otherwise share their views. In her sermon on Yom Kippur, less than two weeks before the Hamas attack, L.A. Rabbi Sharon Brous made clear her feelings about Israel's conservative government. And the fact is, there can be no democracy with occupation. Brous, whose congregation Ikar is in Pico Robertson, still feels this way. But she also feels abandoned by non-Jewish progressives who, in her view, haven't been as vocal about the loss of Israeli lives. She makes this analogy. To imagine if there God forbid, had been a massacre like this on American soil under the Trump administration. And then if the world responded to that massive loss of life by saying, well, but they lived under this government, so it's really their fault. It's a frustration shared by Rabbi Joel Simons with the Wilshire Boulevard Temple. Simons directs the Jewish Center for Justice, which works with other progressive groups on issues like voting rights and environmental justice. He says while he'll remain dedicated to his work. Will I sit at the table with coalition partners that I sat at the table with a month ago? Maybe not, because... I feel a sense of hurt. Simons says he can't speak for all Jewish progressives, but he knows where he stands on the conflict. I like to consider myself a progressive and a liberal. I'm not going to abandon those terms just because I have been frustrated with individuals who claim to be progressive. All that being said, I'm not a pacifist. I do believe in just war. As Rabbi Brous observes, the struggle is to reconcile multiple truths. The challenge of our time is to hold more than one truth at once and to continue to hold, above all else, our humanity and one another's. In other words, there's no lockstep and no easy answers. For The California Report, I'm Leslie Berestein Rojas. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. Paint Care, now with more than 850 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, 
whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery, on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that is this edition of the California Report for Monday, October 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Want to spend more time with us whenever you want? Then subscribe to the Daily California Report podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. The tiny Kodiak Island native village of Carluck in Alaska boasts a population of 37. That makes keeping a school open and attended a difficult task. Today's National Native News looks at school district efforts in the remote island community that became a viral sensation. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The native village of Karluk on Kodiak Island in Alaska went viral this summer for an ad offering cost-free living in an effort to reopen its school. But just a month after classes started, the school is closing again. KMXT's Brian Venwa reports. The decision to close the school was unanimous at an emergency school board meeting. Cindy Mecca is the Kodiak Island Borough School District Superintendent. It's a sad day when you have to close a school. Um... And it's not anything that I ever wanted to do in my tenure. Um, and it's nothing that I want to ever repeat again. So it it weighs heavy on your heart when you have to close a school. Karluk on the southwest end of Kodiak Island in Alaska had just a few dozen year-round residents, with only two of them being school-age kids. The village advertised free living expenses for two families to move there over the summer because the state requires 10 students to be enrolled in order to receive funding. The ad worked. Two families with eight kids between them moved to Karluk in September, and the district's Board of Education voted to reopen the facility. Then both of the new families had left Karluk. A representative for the tribal council said in an email it was a blow to the community. She said, quote, It's so disappointing. We thought we picked the right families. October is when the Alaska Department of Education does a headcount of students for funding, but since the families left before the count was finished, Mika says they could be out $80,000 in their already tight budget. We didn't make it through the count. That's predominantly the reason why, that is really solely the only reason why we are closing. The district is currently working with the state to try to get prorated funding for serving the 10 students for the weeks they stayed in the village, but otherwise the money will have to come out of the district's fund balance or savings. While it didn't work out, Mika says she still stands by her recommendation and the Board of Education's decision to reopen the school. We did the right thing. It was a risk. Um, It didn't pay off, but, um, you know, we did our best while we had the school open. The building will officially close on November 2nd, exactly one month after it opened. The kids in Carlock are currently working with the school district to transition back to homeschooling. In Kodiak, I'm Brian Benoit. Artist Buffy St. Marie is speaking out about a media report that questions her indigenous identity. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, a Canadian Broadcasting Corporation documentary suggests St. Marie's claim to indigenous ancestry is contradicted by family members and a birth certificate. The CBC says it found her birth certificate. It says she was born in 1941 in Stoneham, Massachusetts. Her parents were Albert and Winifred St. Marie. The documents also list the baby as white and includes a signature by an attending physician. From her early days, St. Marie has claimed to be a Cree woman. That's now being contradicted by members of her own family and an investigation suggesting she has European roots. St. Marie says the questions about her origins are hurtful. These questions hurt me. They still do. But they also hurt others. 
They're questions I've struggled with my whole life. In the 1971 Buffy St. Marie songbook, which she wrote and illustrated, she said, When I go home to the Cree Reserve in Canada where I was born, I usually spend a few hours of every day teaching the Cree language. Also, in a 1986 interview with the Los Angeles Times magazine, she said she had been born on the Piapot Reserve in Saskatchewan. In her 2018 biography, there's no official record of her birth. I don't know where I'm from, who my birth parents are, or how I ended up a a misfit in a typical white Christian New England town. The 82-year-old St. Marie says she realized decades ago that she would never have the answers. Still, some Indigenous academics say it's unacceptable for non-Indigenous people to speak for Indigenous people and take honours they shouldn't. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. More at aarp.org. Support by Drummond Woodsum a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. This afternoon, Placer County Public Health officials confirmed the first West Nile virus death this season, a Lincoln man over the age of 65. This is the first West Nile virus-related death in the county since 2018. There have been 286 confirmed human cases and 10 West Nile virus-related deaths reported in California this year. Placer County has had six confirmed human cases of West Nile virus this season. The county has also seen a record number of West Nile virus-positive mosquitoes and dead bird samples. The Nevada County Board of Supervisors is holding a public information meeting on Edwards Crossing Bridge replacement alternatives, Wednesday, November 1st, from 6 to 8 p.m. The meeting, which takes place in the Board of Supervisors' chambers at the Rood Center in Nevada City, will focus on informing residents about three replacement alternatives for the Edwards Crossing Bridge and the potential environmental impacts each option may cause. The single-lane bridge stretches across a section of the South Yuba River on North Bloomfield and is a popular swim destination. The historic Steel Arch Bridge was built over a century ago in 1904. At that time, it only needed to worry about carrying smaller loads, like horses, buggies, and carts. The bridge isn't equipped to withstand modern vehicles and their hefty weight. However, the cost to repair the Edwards Crossing Bridge is so substantial, alternative options have been brought forth. Attendees at Wednesday's meeting are invited to ask questions about the draft environmental impact report. As the bridge currently stands, emergency vehicles are unable to cross the wooden structure due to their weight. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza spoke at length with the project's lead engineer, Patrick Perkins, about different solutions to address the issue. 
You can listen back to the October 5th interview at kvmr.org under our Featured News Stories tab. The Tahoe Fire and Fuels team will continue their fall prescribed fire operations over the next several weeks in several locations around Lake Tahoe. A press release from the organization says California state parks are scheduled to continue understory burning at Burton Creek and Sugar Pine State Parks. In addition, the California Tahoe Conservancy and Tahoe Douglas Fire Protection District will work together on burn piles near Crystal Bay. Additional burn sites include spots near Carnelian Bay, Incline Village, and Fallen Leaf Lake. Smoke from prescribed burns may settle into much of our listening area. It's always advisable to check the air quality index for your location. Attention trick-or-treaters! You don't need me to tell you Halloween is almost upon us. But did you know Nevada City has a host of activities for the tinier goblins and ghouls in your family? The KVMR News team reached out to Lisa Renner, who's Nevada County's public information officer and resident Halloween expert. She's got the details about this year's second annual Nevada City Spooktacular event, which happens tomorrow, Halloween Day, kicking off at 3 p.m. Listen in as Lisa shares the what, where, and when of all these spooky events. She even has a pro tip about the notorious downtown Nevada City Halloween parking situation you're not going to want to miss. You can come to the Rood Center or Madeline Hilling Library and park your car and spend some time there. And all ages are invited. You could start over at the Spooky Bookie Book Giveaway at the Madeline Hilling Library. And then you could walk over to the Rood Center where I work. And all the people in this building are going to decorate the halls with different themes. They're going to be wearing costumes. And kids can go on a spooktacular scavenger hunt. They can trick-or-treat at the different offices. And we're telling people there'll be a different world behind every door. So, for example, where I work in the county executive office, it's going to be Enchanted Forest theme. There's all different themes in the different departments. And what's neat about this, it's a gift to the community from the county employees because just the people that work here are donating treats and decorations, and they just want to give back to the community. That's why we're all doing it. So then after you've done those events, if you don't want to fight for parking in Nevada City with everybody else, you can leave your car in our parking lot here, and there will be a shuttle that will take you to Nevada City to trick-or-treat there, and it runs all the way until 7 o'clock. Now let's take a look at tonight's weather and your Halloween forecast from the National Weather Service. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 43 degrees. Tuesday, mostly sunny with a high near 69. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 44 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 25 degrees. Tuesday, partly sunny with a high near 61. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 30 degrees. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 43 degrees. Tuesday, mostly sunny with a high near 71. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 43 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Big changes are underfoot in the KVMR newsroom. 
And as your local community radio station, we want to make sure you're not left in the dark about anything that may be different. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza is here to walk us through those changes as we move into the next month. It's hard to believe, but KVMR is 45 this year. What started on a shack up on Banner Mountain has grown into a community hub that we are all very proud to be a part of. And almost from the beginning, KVMR has shared news in one form or another. For a big part of its history, news on the station happened in the morning. In fact, Steve Baker, who produced the morning update until recently retiring, was one of a few broadcasters who delivered the news, often reading headlines and stories from regional newspapers. Then, in 1998, Paul Emery, who currently hosts the Tuesday Morning Show, created the KVMR Evening News, and for 25 years, under a few different news directors, it aired right after the music magazine shows at 6 p.m. But, like Bob Dylan was singing about back in 1964, the only constant in life is change. Beginning next week on Monday, November 6th, the KVMR News will begin airing twice daily, Monday through Friday. First at 8.06, where the morning update aired, and then again at 12.01. Twice daily, we're going to bring you locally produced and relevant news from our region. And at 6, in our old time slot, Monday through Thursday, we'll be airing all of the locally created public affairs shows that you know and love. We are holding on to Fridays. On Fridays from 6 to 6.30, we'll feature in-depth interviews as well as our long-running segments like Water News, The Economic Report, Molly Fisk's Essays, and Mark Cunaberti's Money Matters. And as we've done since I took the reins almost three years ago now, we're going to continue to make it all available online. If you haven't done so yet, I invite you to subscribe to the KVMR News wherever you get your podcasts. And consider following us on Instagram, at KVMR News and at KVMR Radio. Thanks for listening, and thanks for continuing to support independent local media. That's our newscast for Monday, October 30th. Listen to anything you may have missed at our website, kvmr.org. And connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Weiss Landscaping. With over 75 years of generational experience in landscape architecture, design, and installation, Weiss Landscaping crews are experienced and provide accountability on craftsmanship, installations, and irrigation projects. Go WeissLandscaping.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. Keep it tuned to your community radio station. Coming up at 6.30, it's Disability Rap with hosts Carl Sigmund and Lindsay Wells. The next time you hear Disability Rap, it'll be in a new time slot. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Mm-hmm.